Are we good? How are we doing, church? Are we sure about that? So week of Thanksgiving, we should be thankful that we're in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, just a couple of uh, brief announcements that I have. Uh, the first is I want to encourage you uh, this to come this Wednesday, uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have a special guest speaker, Mr. Kevin Henry, is going to come, and he's going to spend an hour with us talking about discipleship and, and walk us through. Uh, he, he is one of the, if not the, probably most effective disciple maker in Cumberland County. And uh, I've seen him firsthand. I've worked with him on the mission field firsthand and just seen how he interacts with those that he disciples. And this is uh, something that our youth need to be a part of. Uh, if, if they could come this Wednesday, that'd be great. And adults as well, as we, uh, I know we're doing some small group stuff, but as we attempt to branch out into, you know, what does it look to really be a, a disciple? What does it really look like? And, and Kevin's going to be here and talk to us about that. I would highly encourage you uh, to be here. And because, you know, we're not supposed to put any man on a pedestal, but man, he is the, he is the model uh, in our own local uh, area. And uh, he's, he's a, he works a normal job. He's a normal guy. No special training except uh, the study of the Word of God. So please come this Wednesday at 6. Also, if you get a chance, it kind of ties in what we're going to talk with this morning, but uh, we work at the Bread of Life Mission every first and third Friday of the month. Uh, this upcoming Friday is our time to be there. So if you get a chance to stop by, you don't have to do anything except smile and just be an encouragement to those people. Um, they love to see anybody there that just... Just a, a glimpse of, hey, somebody cares about me. Uh, so if you have an opportunity to, to drop in, that's at 7 o'clock on Friday uh, at the Bread of Life, a little chapel that's right across from the, the main housing of the Bread of Life. So if you don't know where that is, stop me and ask if you're interested, and we can get you squared away on that. But this morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. I know we spent a lot of time there. Uh, Dale's been preaching through 2 Corinthians as we kind of looked at what does it look like to be a church member and the importance of church membership. And, and a church member, a, cr a crucial part of church membership is that every member is an extension of the church. So how you carry yourself, what you do, where you go, what you say, they all reflect the local church. And even greater than that is all of those things, what you say, what you do, where you go, how you act, they reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a heavy weight for me and you to bear, a heavy responsibility that's been given to us. But we have to recognize that it has been given to us. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks directly to this matter. And, and I'm going to try to present to you today what Paul's speaking of in 2 Corinthians 5 in God's design for an effective ambassador. And I've got an outline behind me. It's not for you to look at now. It's for you to come up later and take a picture of if you want to study this during the week. Um, I always want to give you an opportunity to dive into the Word a little deeper. And as Dale says, don't trust what comes out of my mouth. Go home and study it for yourself. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're going to look at a handful of things today, but the first thing that we have to do is answer this question. What's going on? What is Paul trying to say to us? And all that Paul's doing in this passage, this is a very powerful passage, and all Paul's doing is he's trying to tell the Corinthians what he and his companions are all about. This is who we are, and this is what we're doing. He fears the Lord, and it drives everything that he does. And in a sense, what Paul's telling us It should also mark the life of every true believer in Christ. He's saying, this shouldn't just be what defines me. It should be what defines any follower of Christ. And so one thing I wanted to do is I want to paraphrase what Paul says here and what he's telling the Corinthians. If you've ever read the message, it's a translation of the Bible. It's kind of a paraphrase. This would be Dave's message. This is what Paul, I believe, is saying here that maybe will speak a little clearer to you. He says, I'm not telling you all of these things to boast in myself. But what I'm telling you, I'm telling you so you can set the record straight to those who ask you or who may have a different opinion of us. See, they don't understand our heart. They judge us based on the way we look, on our outward appearance, or the things that they deem that are important. But they're looking at us through a broken lens. Because what really matters is God knows our heart, and I pray that you do as well. If people want to say we're crazy, you've heard them. People are saying that we're crazy. And if they want to say that, if they want to say that we're out of our mind, guess what? They're right. We're crazy to the extent that we're fully committed to Christ. And we're also fully committed to you. Why are we so markedly different? Because of the gospel. Because of what Christ did on the cross. He died for all mankind so that they might be reconciled to him and live for him. Quit viewing everything through the lens of the flesh. Quit viewing everything through the physical world. There's a spiritual world too, and that's how we have to see people. You're either in Christ or you're not. Those who are, they're a new creation. They're completely new, completely new. Their old life is over. Now you may ask, how is this possible? It's only possible through Christ's work on the cross that we can be reconciled to God the Father. And guess what? So can you. If you believe in Christ and follow Him. God hasn't charged us. Now this should speak to you directly the church. God has not charged us to keep this news to ourselves. He's entrusted us with this message and commands that we share it to others. We are ambassadors representatives of Christ that carry his message of the possibility of a restored relationship with God the Father. Please don't view us as ordinary men with our own message. Instead, we carry the very message of God, not because we're special, 
but only because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That's what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. And three things to me stand out, and I think three things should stand out to you in regards to what is Paul saying. The first thing he's saying is our lives should be distinctly marked by relationship with Christ. If, if I pledge to be a follower of Christ, my life should look different. And it shouldn't look just a little different. It should be distinctly different. And because of that, the second thing is the world should question us. It should question us. I, I have to admit to you, I am a sucker for... Everybody has their own time and does things with their own time. I have been... Uh, kind of taken aback a little bit as I've just kind of paid attention late to the amount of time that people watch TV. And I know Dale bash TV, and I don't say that negatively. I just catch myself thinking, am I the only person on the planet that if it's not a sports game is not watching television? I've never heard of that show. I've never heard of this show. I don't know who that actor is. I'm, I must be the only one under a rock that doesn't watch television. But that's not to say that I don't do different things with my time, right? And I'm a sucker for, I like to read news articles and I love to read the comments. And that's a dark place that somebody should never go, but I can easily fall down the rabbit hole of reading comments. I like to get on my Twitter, and I like to read comments. And it would blow your mind. The, the world should question us. It would blow your mind if you went down that rabbit hole of certain government institutions want to shut church. Supreme Court just says that's unconstitutional in the state of New York. And it would blow your mind to follow that rabbit trail and see the number of people that think church should be closed because it's a waste of time and because it's a threat to us from a health standpoint now. What Paul is saying is, is correct. The world should question us. It should question the way we act. But guess what? The world's not going to question you. It's not going to question me if my life isn't distinctly marked by my relationship with Christ. If I look like everybody else, nobody's going to question that. I'm going to be normal. Paul's saying you're not supposed to be normal. And the last thing he says, I think, that stands out is he says, we've been given a mission, and we should strive to fulfill it at all cost. And the key to that is at all cost. You've been given the mission. It's not optional. You've been commanded, and you should strive to fill it regardless of the cost. And what's the mission? Well, the mission is we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says he is. That's what Paul says the church is to be. So you have to ask the question, well, what's the role of an ambassador? What is an ambassador? All an ambassador is is a representative or an extension of something that serves in an official capacity. You carry weight because of the one who has sent you. Not because of who you are, because of the one that sent you. So, for example, just doing a little research, the United States government currently has roughly 190 official ambassadors to other nations. Now, not all of those posts are filled. Some countries we don't talk to, but roughly 190 to 200 ambassadors to other nations. Each of those ambassadors are an extension of the President of the United States. If you think about it, just common sense tells you the president can't be in 190 countries at once. He can't speak to the officials of 190 countries at once, okay, or just whenever they want to. So as a result, we've got an ambassador that speaks on behalf of the president. So word comes down from the president, from the executive branch, 
to the ambassador on this needs to be said, this needs to be done, and this needs to happen. And that's the mission of the ambassador. To see that what the president or the executive branch desires, to see that that's accomplished. That's what the ambassador is supposed to do. And Paul saw himself and every believer as serving in the same role on behalf of Jesus Christ. And so what's the mission? What's the specific mission? The desire of Christ was to reconcile all men to God the Father, to bring them back into proper relationship with God. The mission of Christ was the cross. And his death on the cross that paid the penalty for all sinners, that's what made this mission for the ambassador of reconciliation to God the Father, that's what made it possible. And so now he's left it to the believer to share the possibility of this reconciliation. You are to go and to be a representative of Christ to share that this is a possibility. You can be reconciled to God the Father. John 3.16, everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved some people. For God so loved the world. Christ's work on the cross was for all men. 100%, all human beings. But it was only effective for those who placed their faith in Christ. Paul's main point is that there's a mission. This is the mission. As an ambassador of Christ, you are to fulfill the mission of reconciliation. So, So the main gist, the main point of what I hope we hear this morning from Paul is, is this, if we want to be effective ambassadors, there is no denying this is what you're called to be. And if you want to be an effective ambassador, what does that look like? We have to answer that question. What does it look like? So I think there's a list of, of a handful of things that, that we have to live out if we want to be an effective ambassador for Christ. First and foremost, an effective ambassador must know and embody what he represents. So the first thing is you have to know Christ. And and hear this, I can't simply know of Christ, I have to know Christ. There's a big difference. 1 John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So what John tells us here is that Jesus came in the flesh and he revealed spiritual truth to us. He revealed to us who God is, right? The word in flesh and dwelt among us. He revealed to us who God is so that we may be able to recognize him and have a relationship with him. So in other words, all that John says is opportunity is there. You can know who God is. It's not a secret. Now, how valuable is that opportunity? Well, let's listen to Paul, because Paul answers that question. In Philippians 3, 8 through 11, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, and count them as trash, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, I can't do it, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that why? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, 
and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. A few things here that Paul says have to grab your attention. Right out the gate, he says, I count everything as loss. How valuable is this opportunity to know who God is? I count everything else as loss. This is the supreme priority. Paul goes on to tell us that, listen, I've suffered. I have suffered. But remember, I count everything as loss. I'm willing to suffer to know who God is. That's how valuable it is. And, and the last thing he says is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, beca- becoming like him in death, that why by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How valuable is it? By any means possible. I'm going to find out who God is so that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, so that I may be with him forever. Paul acknowledged that knowing Christ comes with a cost, something that even Jesus taught in the Gospels, right? But he considered a knowledge of Christ and a relationship with him to be of supreme value, far above anything else that he could possibly attain. So much value that, again, how is he willing to attain it? By any means possible, whatever it takes. How many of you, including myself, have, have ever uttered the phrase, have said the following, I'd do anything for blank? Uh, I've said that about food. I've said that about after we've lost about five games in a row just to win a game. I'd do anything if we could win a game. I'd do anything. You fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. We've all been there. But how many of us have said the same thing when speaking about our relationship with Christ? I'd do anything to be closer to Christ. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. Knowing Christ requires intentionality and requires us to see the immeasurable, valuable opportunity that's in front of us. That's what Paul's telling us. And I stand before you convicted. I think it's important that you know that the guy standing in front of you is as guilty as you are. Just a couple of examples from my own life. When I really start to sit down and think, you know, what drives what I do? What, what's important to me? Because Paul says, what's really important to you by any means possible, you'll make it happen, right? Just two simple examples in my own life. Back when school shut down, it took me about a week. I'm a doer. It took me about a week, and I'm like, man, I can't sit around. I don't know how people do this. So I started delivering pizza. It's like, I'm just going to do something. I got an Excel spreadsheet on my laptop, I can tell you how many trips I've taken. I can tell you what the average tip is. I can tell you how many people haven't tipped me. I can tell you all kinds of information, right? It's important. What's that tell you? That tells you it's important, right? I can also tell you that, so in the spring when we're playing baseball, we have what we call a spray chart. And so what a spray chart is, is if you are an opposing hitter and we're playing against you, I got a chart that tells us every pitch we threw you, when we threw it, what you did with it. Did you foul it off? Did you swing and miss? Did you take it? If you hit it, where'd you hit it? Did you hit it hard? Did you not hit it hard? When you get on base, did you run? Did you try to steal? What count was it when you tried to steal? I mean, down to the finest detail. So that when we come up and see you again, I know what you can hit, what you can't hit, where you hit it, where I can move my defenders. Every hitter for four years, What's that tell you? It's important. 
When I look at those two things, my, my Excel pizza chart and my spray charts, and I compare those to how often I read my Bible, do I, how often do I make notes when I read my Bible, do I journal, I'm an awful journaler, all those little things. And, and again, what's that tell you? It kind of tells you a little bit about your heart. It tells you what's important to you. Because what's important to you, by all means possible, I will go down to the finest detail. I will drill down to the finest detail. Knowing Christ, I'm going to say this again, knowing Christ requires intentionality. And where you find intentionality in your life is where you're going to find importance, where you place your importance. If, if I'm going to be an effective ambassador for Christ, if you're going to be an effective ambassador, you have to know Christ. But that's not it. I also have to live Christ. An effective ambassador lives in a manner that's supportive of his mission. I can't live counter to the mission and expect the mission to be successful. If I'm an ambassador to China and the president wants me to get something done and I know that A, B, and C offend the Chinese. Well, if I walk into a room and do A, B, and C, I can't, affect, I can't expect this to go well. I can't expect to be able to accomplish whatever it is that the president wants me to accomplish. I've got to live in a, in a way that's supportive of the mission. If we go back to that passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who that for their sake died and was raised. It's the love of Christ that served as motivation for Paul's ministry. Christ died as a substitute for the sins of those who believe and follow him, and that should motivate me, that should motivate you, to live for Christ just like Paul did. I want you to hear this. If you're a note taker, write this down. The death of Christ is more than a fact to be believed, it demands a lifestyle that needs to be lived. The death of Christ is more than a fact to be believed, it demands a lifestyle that needs to be lived. If you go back to 1 John chapter 5, John tells us, not only we've got the opportunity to know Christ, but as believers we're to live in Him. John 5.21, the last verse uh, 1 John 5.21, the last verse in that book, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, if you read chapter 5, at first glance, that one sentence seems way out of place. There's even scholars that argue, go back and forth. Does this belong here? Is something missing? Why does John just cut it off? doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you really dwell on it, if you really start to think about it, that one little statement fits perfectly because John calls on us to know Christ and to live in Christ. He's talking about worship. And so all sin, the sin in my life, the sin in your life, it's ultimately a worship problem. Are we worshiping God or are we worshiping something else? And when we choose to worship something else, what is that? It's idolatry, right? It's what Dale spoke about last week when he challenged us to think about what do we allow in our home? Do we allow the culture to influence the way we think? Do we allow the culture to influence the way our kids think? We have to constantly be on guard. The best defense, here's another sports analogy for you, the best defense is a good offense. 
The world, newsflash, breaking news, the world is not going away. The downward spiral in culture, not going away. Makes too much money, not going away. We can't completely shelter ourselves, can't do it. We can't completely shelter our children, can't do it. Regardless of what sports you enjoy to watch, think about the best defense. The best defenses you ever watched. Football, baseball, basketball, whatever. Every game that best, that great defense, every game it played wasn't a shutout. The other team scores at some point. Somehow they score. Side note, that's, I'm, that's why I'm not a fan of basketball. You can score 60 points and somebody says great defensive game. I'm like, they scored 60 points? How is that good defense? But the greatest defense in the world don't pitch a shutout every time. So... How can we, right? What we can do, though, is be offensive. We can have a great offense. How you beat the Kansas City Chiefs? You keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand. You just hold the ball for 12 minutes a quarter, and you got a chance. Okay? Are our homes grounded in the Word of God? Are they grounded in truth? If and when our defenses are breached, right, like I believe they're going to be at times, we must be rooted in the truth if we're going to stand a chance. I think that's what Paul's talking about too in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 when he says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul says the temptation is going to come. You can't keep it all away. But... With the temptation that you will encounter, God's going to provide a way of escape. Well, what's the way of escape? The truth. He provides you with the truth. In order to be an effective ambassador, we have to live for Christ. We must live a life of constant worship for the Lord, not worship for other things. And here's the deal. Push back on somebody's thinking this. Somebody is thinking this right now. And Here's the pushback. You are an ambassador for Christ. Period. If you're a believer and you walk in the door this morning, right, when you leave, you're an ambassador. Okay? And I'll give you a couple, I'll give you a couple examples. Students in my class know that I'm a pastor. Okay? Very commonly, I got my Bible with me at school. Any, cause, and I'm trying to steal a moment here and there. If I got some seminary something to do, I'm trying to steal a moment here and there, I always got my Bible with me. Sitting on my desk, I carry it back and forth from the gym to my classroom. People see me with it. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean I'm a great person. Doesn't give me a star anywhere. No crown on my head for just carrying my Bible. But what it does do is it sends a message to everybody that what that guy does is going to tell me a lot about what's in this book. He's an ambassador. I've had kids in classes come up, oh, I got this question. He's a preacher, ask him. <laughs> okay? I'm not any different than you. You're an ambassador. People know. And here's the thing. If I'm tainted by the world, then I have nothing to offer the world. If I've been compromised, then people are going to be unable to hear. I've got the message of reconciliation, but if I don't look any different than anybody else, why do they want to hear the message? We've got to be real careful. Dale, Dale gives me a hard time. He's like, you're in school. You learn all this stuff. You just need to be telling everybody. 
this word called syncretism. It's just a fancy word for I'm going to take this idea and take this idea and I'm going to combine them because I like them both. We've got to be real careful of doing that with the truth and the things we like in culture. There's things on this page I don't like, so I'm going to discard them, and I'm going to take what I like over here in the culture, and I'm going to throw it in here and combine it and make my own little Bible. You've got to be real careful of that. And when we do that, that's what I'm talking about in saying I'm tainted by the world. I don't look any different than the world. They don't want to hear what I have to say. Personal opinion. Number one problem in our culture today is that a large number of Christians either don't know what's in the Word of God, or they don't believe the Word of God. And when I say believe the Word of God, I mean believe the Word of God. The whole book from beginning to end. Not bits and pieces throughout. The whole thing. Because you can't pick and choose. You can't be compromised and at the same time be effective. Again, the death of Christ is more than a fact to be believed. It demands a lifestyle that needs to be lived if you want to be effective. An effective ambassador also must know who he's sent to reach. If I'm sent from the president to go somewhere, I need to go where the somewhere is. I need to know those people. I need to know, what, know all about them if I'm going to accomplish the mission. Acts eight says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is not a secret. He tells us, This is who you're supposed to reach. This is where you're supposed to go and be an effective ambassador for me. And we have to understand that. But what's Jesus talking about? We filled a, few, a, little, a handful of questions. You walked in last week, you saw these pictures on the wall. Filled a handful of questions like, why in the heck do we have a picture of Crossville that says Jerusalem? And where are all these other places? And I didn't know Tennessee was also called Judea. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Here's what you need to know. The first thing that you need to know, and I hope you would take to heart, is everything we do here has a purpose. Everything. Everything. While the Gospels don't give us a full account of Jesus' life, right? You don't need a day-by-day diary from birth to death. They do give us a large snapshot of his life, especially his ministry. And as you read through the Gospels, what you should notice is that none of Jesus' time was wasted. He lived with intent and with purpose. And as believers, we're called to do the same thing. A church as a whole, we're called to do the same thing. Everything we do should have a purpose. Guess what? Those pictures, they have a purpose. They're not just random, nice, pretty pictures. As you walk in, you see them, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. They're pictures that have a purpose. This is where we're called to go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The same thing you just read in Acts 1.8. So what does it mean? Well, you got Jerusalem. you got a picture of the courthouse in Crossville. right? This is your immediate setting. That's Jerusalem. When Jesus was speaking to the disciples, Jerusalem was where they were. Their immediate setting. right? This is where you are, where you spend the vast majority of your time. The people that you interact with on a daily basis live here. People you know are here. You're to be a representative of Christ where you are, where you live. That's your Jerusalem. Judea is kind of like your outstretched Jerusalem. It's the larger outlying area. It's real easy to think about that in terms of Tennessee. That's the state you live in. There's 50 states in this great land. You live in Tennessee. All right. People move about now more than they've ever moved about in the history of the world. 
All right, so think about Tennessee. Think about how many times you've been to Knoxville, Chattanooga, Nashville. You're going to Target here. You're going to Target there. You go wherever you go, co-op, rural king, whatever it is, in all these different towns, those are opportunities for you to be an effective ambassador for Christ. It's not just in Crossville. It's in Judea, your larger scope of things as well. Then you've got Samaria. Here's the real tricky one. It's real easy to think about Samaria as your enemies, right? During Jesus' time, Samaritans were heavily looked down upon. I mean, I, I wasn't alive, but I can imagine kind of maybe a good example was racial issues that we had in the 50s, 40s, 50s. That's Samaria, right? I don't talk to that person because of the way they look. To the extent that in Jesus' time, if I've got to go from point A to point B and Samaria's in the middle, we go around. It may take us extra days, but I ain't walking through there. Okay? That's how much they despise the Samaritans. But I want you to think about your Samaria this morning as the following. Who do you not like? Who doesn't fit neatly into your socioeconomic demographics? In other words, the crew you hang with that has about the same amount of money you got. Who falls outside of that scope? Here's another one. Who do you perceive to be a threat? That's your Samaria. You've been called by Christ to be an ambassador to all of those people. It's not optional. You don't get to walk around Samaria. If we're not reaching out to them with the message of reconciliation, then we fail to be an effective ambassador, period. So the question is, who fits into these categories that you need to reach out to? A lot of times we're hindered because it's outside of my comfort zone. I mean, the, the mission is a great example that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, there's drug addicts at the mission. Do I want my kids hanging out with drug addicts? No. But I ain't dragging the guy back to a birthday party with my kid. I'm going to the mission to give him the gospel. And if I can help the guy, then I'm going to help him. Because it seems awful ironic for the church to stand back and talk poorly about the drug addict when I've got the cure to the drug problem and I'll take it to him i got to get outside my comfort zone, and that's your Samaria. The last is the ends of the earth. That's a picture of Zambia, uh, where we've been, which literally is the ends of the earth, if you consider from here how long it takes to get there. That's a big part of this church's mission, right, is missions, and especially international missions. We're called to share the gospel with the world. Here's a few things for you to think about on that front. How, how can I effectively support that call? Okay? I'm going to throw a couple things at you. One, Ray went to Peru. If Ray can go to Peru, you can go international missions. Okay? You can do it. Second off, if for some reason I can't, then how am I, how am I best equipping those that can go? And here's a third one that you don't ever think about is how can I be effective with international missions in my Jerusalem? Because people from all over the world come through Crossville. And if I have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody from outside of the United States of America that happens to come through Crossville, Cookville, and they go, I've had an impact on international missions, and I've never left Crossville. So you can affect the ends of the earth even where you are right now. The second thing is, the, right now the door is closed. I don't want to be doom and gloom. I've read some things that seem to indicate that the door may be closed for a long time, if not completely, for all time, until Jesus comes back. I don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that right now the door is closed. 
So while the door is closed, am I focused on my Samaria? Because that door may be as open as it's ever been. And while the door is closed, here's the third thing. While the door is closed, what am I doing to be ready to go when the door opens? Or am I going to spend another six, six months getting ready because, oh, guess what? It's open. Now let's get ready. No, no we're going to get ready now while the door's closed. To be an effective ambassador, I've got to know who I'm sent to reach. And Jesus didn't leave any doubt who we're sent, who we're sent to reach. Two other quick points. To be an effective ambassador, I've got to know where my authority comes from. There's a temptation to ignore your role as an ambassador, and it's real. Right? The stakes are high. It can be easy to dismiss that responsibility. I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. But we've got to realize that often this temptation, it comes from a failure to understand my authority. I'm not good enough. I don't speak well enough. I don't think I can do that. That's not what Acts 1.8 says. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to really take note of what Jesus is saying here. He's talking. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Okay? Now, his disciples have been with him essentially daily for the past three years. For three whole years, I've been with Jesus day in, day out. He taught me everything I needed to know to be effective. And yet, what does Jesus recognize here? Hey, guys, you're not up to the task. You're not ready. That should be encouraging to you. Because if they were with Jesus every day for three years and they're not ready, it's okay for me not to be ready. But what does Jesus promise? He says, you're not ready until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. If we try to do the work of an ambassador in our own strength, guess what? We will fail or we will quit. Because guess what? You can't do it. Because you're not up to the task. You're not qualified. But the good news is, you got the Holy Spirit. If I'm a believer, I got the Holy Spirit. And guess what? All of a sudden, now I am up to the task. Now I am qualified. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives me the power to do it. A couple of things that I think we have to remember. Many times in Scripture, God asks you, God asks me, to be faithful. That's it. He asks you to be faithful. And we take that out of context and we put way more pressure on ourselves than we ever should. He asks you to be faithful. He doesn't hold you responsible for the outcome. He's got that covered. He just asks you to be faithful. Deuteronomy 6 is a great example. It talks about raising your children. It talks about speaking about it as you go all the time. But it never says in Deuteronomy 6, hey, by the way, if your kid turns out to be a hoodlum, you fail. It's not what it says. It says just be faithful and what I ask you to do. And our role as an ambassador is no different. My job is to be faithful to the task that I've been given. The second thing there is that as a believer, I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He is constantly speaking. But am I hearing? Am I putting myself in a position where I can hear the Holy Spirit? It comes back to what am I worshiping? What am I allowing in? What am I allowing to consume my time? The Holy Spirit doesn't stop speaking. You just stop hearing. The last thing is, as an effective ambassador, I have to rely on the sovereignty of God above all. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth 
by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I can't be an effective ambassador? Oh, really? It says right here, nothing is too hard for God. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Newsflash, nothing's too hard for God, and He has chosen you. He has chosen you for the tasks that He has given you. Those two verses along with everything else that we've talked about this morning, should be all the motivation that you need to strive to be an effective ambassador for Christ because you've been chosen and nothing's too hard for God. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know if we're in the end times. I don't know. But I can tell you that it's very interesting that I've been asked that question by more people in the last six months than I have in my entire lifetime. Here's what I do know. God is faithful and he's in control of all things. He's chosen you to be his ambassador. There's nothing greater that you can share with others than the message of reconciliation that Paul speaks of. And while there's still breath in your lungs, we should be challenged to be faithful to that call. Maybe this morning you don't feel up to the task. And, and here's what I'd tell you. First, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you've got to start there. None of the other stuff matters. You can't just know of Christ. You have to know him. Second, you have to intentionally work to grow in your knowledge of Christ daily. You've got to anchor yourself in the truth while guarding against the world. Third, ask yourself, how can I live out my faith today? Too often in life we get bogged down by the big picture. Example I use in class all the time, teaching health. I got two guys that want to lose 52 pounds this year. Okay? I just saw her face. <gasps> okay? Exactly. Two guys. They do the same thing. End of week one. This guy loses a pound. End of week one. This guy loses a pound. This guy's thinking about, I got to lose 52 pounds this year. I quit. This guy's thinking, I got to lose a pound this week. Pound, dominate. Next week, let's go. Guess what? After a year, he's lost 52 pounds. This guy's probably gained 20 more. Why? Because he's got the wrong perspective. If I'm looking at the big picture, it's easy to get swallowed up and I'm going to quit. But it's real simple for me to ask, how can I live out my faith today? What's one simple task that I can do today to be an effective ambassador for Christ? The more that you seek to know Christ, the more you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. And that's where your power comes from. Fourth, step out of your comfort zone and into your Samaria. And lastly, trust that your faithful God will be faithful. That's probably the biggest one of them all. Just trust that your faithful God will be faithful. He's in control. There's nothing outside of his control, and he's chosen you. You are called to be an effective ambassador for Christ. Whether you asked for it or not the second you place your faith in christ you're an ambassador for him you walk out of here you're an ambassador for him and the news is the world out there desperately needs to have effective ambassadors in their presence so this week i want to challenge you 
to ask yourself that question every day. How can I be an effective ambassador today? How can I be, how can I live out my faith today? So that a lost world can see Christ that they desperately need to see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, the opportunity that we have just to gather before you as a church. Lord, I thank you for all these people. May I ask you just to encourage them to to, to let them hear the Holy Spirit, to let them know that that's the power that you have given them so that they can be an effective ambassador, that they can step out of their comfort zone and be willing to reach their Samaria, be willing to reach those that you have placed in front of them. Lord, there's no coincidence in you. We've got a large number of people in this room today that will be dispersed this week into a lot of different areas. And you will place people on their path for a purpose. And Lord, there's never been a greater time for the church to be the church than today. There's a world that is terrified, living in fear, and we have the hope. Lord, I pray that that we would cling to you, that we would be intentional about growing closer to you and seeking opportunities to serve you every day. I pray that you would bless this food and our time of fellowship, Lord, and we just thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stay and eat. And come Wednesday, listen to Kevin. You will not regret it.